All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The FBI. Over 30,000 Americans work there. And its goal, according to its website, is to protect you, your children, your communities, and your businesses from the most dangerous threats facing our nation. So from terrorists to spies, from cybervillains to corrupt government officials, from mobsters to violent street gangs, from child predators to serial killers. Those are their words, not mine, by the way. I mean, that's a lot of people it needs to protect you from, huh? But how do FBI agents draw a line between, say, the president of the United States conducting business and obstructing justice? Or the difference between a domestic terrorist and someone who's just posting a Facebook update about a march they went to? Well, to draw those lines, the FBI investigates. In fact, they could be investigating you. The vast majority don't know. Most of these folks have no idea what these agencies are doing. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and note to self, there are ways to find out if the FBI is watching you, online or off. Today, with the help of note to self senior producer Kat Aaron, we'll tell you how. But first, we want to tell you about the tools, digital and analog, that the FBI uses to do its investigating— and the reasons they have for investigating someone in the first place. And to do that, we need to talk about a law that you may have heard of. The Freedom of Information Act, FOIA as it's called, is turning 50 years old. But there are some cool new ways to wield it online, as Kat learned when she discovered the FBI's file on her grandfather. Here's Kat Aaron. My grandfather's name was Daniel Aaron. He died last year, but before that, he was a professor and a writer. An influential one. He kind of invented American studies. And he also founded the Library of America. Yeah. And to give you a sense of his attention to how America morphed and changed over the years, I need to tell you about his habit of clipping photos and articles from newspapers. He did this for more than 80 years putting them into a scrapbook that eventually got published as a chronicle of 20th century America. How would we try to, like, think of what the themes are? There's something grim, something sardonic, uh, sad. Uh, There's a lot of social criticism involved. Here's Harvard historian Hilary Shute and Harvard constitutional law expert Noah Feldman talking to him about it. It's clear what my general social views are. So what would you say they are? Well, this is not a, uh, the the collection of somebody who is completely supportive and sympathetic of the contemporary society. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's pictures of awkward dancers and tombstone salesmen, murderers and ball players, but it wasn't the scrapbook that brought my grandpa to the attention of the government. His first book in 1951 was about how rebelling against injustice and inequality was ingrained in American middle-class tradition. That's what the New York Times said about it in their obituary of him. He wrote other books, mostly about writers and writing, but also about communism and race. Grandpa Dan made a career out of exploring those sad, grim, strange parts of America. He was a lefty, someone with a love-hate relationship with this country. Or he put it better, as he always did. He wrote that he was a native son, neither estranged from the collective American family, nor unreservedly clasped to its bosom. And we always kind of guessed that he might have an FBI file. But I probably would never have known for sure. Except for this guy. My name is Parker Higgins. I run a project called FOIA the Dead. Parker uses very modern methods to explore very old chapters in the nation's history. He wrote this code that scouts the New York Times obituary page and then automatically files a Freedom of Information request or a FOIA request to the FBI for the dead person's file. He posted it all on GitHub, a site for sharing open source code for anyone to use. The Freedom of Information Act allows anyone to write the federal government and say, basically, give me your info. You, yes, you, can petition the government for records. You can get emails, reports, memos, FBI files. That's what Parker asked for. I've probably sent about 1,500 requests, and I've gotten uh, under 50 files. And one of the files he got was my grandfather's. It was relatively short, what they gave me, and it was... um, he had been involved with, involved makes it sound more prurient than it is, but he was one of the authors who wrote for a commissioned study on the effects of communism on uh, American life. It's not activist work. You know, it wasn't propaganda. It seems like, even from the description, that it's a pretty straightforward, this is a, a major cultural force right now, and this is, you know, how it's affecting our art and culture. So you've published... 29 of these files. Can you generalize at all about why people come to the attention of the FBI? Many of these people are very prominent activists in some way or another. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. People that the FBI was suspected of involvement with the civil rights movement. I have a dream. The Black Panthers still exist and the Black Panthers are still extremely active or with communism in some way or another. Some of us is about to starve to death. Others spend five or $6,000 on a party at night. Or the various things that you might have been involved with and that the FBI was watching in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Anybody knows that the people have the power. All we have to do is awaken the power in the people. There's a handful of anti-nuclear activists, too. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Something for me that I find interesting about doing this project is, of course, when you read an obituary, you get a very selective history of somebody. You've got a page or so to tell a person's story, and of course you're going to leave out a ton of stuff. And what I think is really interesting is that when you get the FBI file for someone, you're also getting this extremely abridged history of their life. And in the case of many of the ones that I get, it's, you know— They 
thought about going to a communist meeting in the 50s. And maybe they went, maybe they didn't. Or, you know, other communists say they haven't seen them around. And that's the biography you get of the person. Looking at the files from people who came to the attention of the FBI in the 70s or 60s or whatever, it sort of feels like this snapshot into the fears of, of the government. I agree. And if you think of the FBI, if you're accustomed to thinking of the FBI as sort of a neutral enforcer of laws, then it shouldn't have that bias. It shouldn't be like, well, what is the FBI worried about now? But in fact, you do see that there are trends in what they think is significant enough to merit a file. I'll say that one of the ones that surprised me is a number of people have an entry saying that they are suspected of possibly going to protest Nixon's inauguration in advance. You know, we're keeping an eye on them because they might be going to protest Nixon's inauguration. And that, again, from this perspective, seems like, well, I mean, why, why wouldn't they and, and why would that be a problem? And, and why would the FBI follow somebody, you know, across the country as they go to Washington to protest this? You're speaking of this sort of idea that these agents are following people around. I mean, I was struck in reading through many of the files that there is mention of people sort of reading the paper address book or FBI agents mm-hmm. going to meetings and reporting back. And it all feels really analog. Well, yes. And now we've got a different paradigm where often law enforcement surveillance decides to just gather information about everybody and then decide who's interesting afterwards. And, and they've already got the information collected. Because the technology has come so far, the surveillance that we see in these documents feels almost quaint. What should we learn from it? What should we take from it as we think about trying to balance security with the right to protest and speak and and act? When you look through these files, you get a sense that It's not a balancing act between security and privacy. It's not that if the FBI had been allowed to invade privacy more, then people would have been more secure. In fact, uh, these two things often work together. And and when you have privacy protections for people in the country, they're more secure and their information's more secure. You know, in some of these files, as you mentioned, they'll talk about going through the address book of, of a person And the address book obviously shows a lot of social connections and things like that, but it's so limited in terms of how much it can say about a person compared to the private files of someone today. And so people are really concerned about the device that they have in their pocket. If the FBI gets – or anybody gets access to that, that's a ground for a major, major privacy violation and something that you would feel insecure about. So I think that the lesson from – FOIA of the Dead and from, frankly, the headlines about privacy and security in the last few years has been that these two things have to work hand in hand and that we increase one by increasing the other. My grandpa thought a lot about how our society balances liberty and security. I mean, he was a student of American history, and that tension has been kind of a consistent theme in this country. And on the show, too. Check out our episode on the Fourth Amendment for some more privacy history. It's one of our favorites. My grandpa probably suspected that he was on some FBI guy's radar at some point. And I wish he'd gotten to see his file before he died. I think he would have gotten a kick out of it. 
Those note to self's Kat Aaron talking to Parker Higgins, creator of the FOIA The Dead Project. And when we come back, more from Kat and how FBI surveillance has evolved to follow people living right now. Who needs address books when you have Twitter? Plus, how to find out if there's an FBI file on you. Stick with us. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And as you heard, thanks to the Freedom of Information Act, senior producer Kat Aaron got to see her amazing grandfather's FBI file. He was 103 when he passed away, and the FBI notes on him went back more than 60 years ago. But what about the people who the FBI thinks might cause trouble now? Well, to find out, Kat got together with someone whom the government has nicknamed a FOIA terrorist. BuzzFeed's senior investigative reporter, Jason Leopold. Jason is the guy who got the government to release Hillary Clinton's emails. Yeah, the ones that revealed she'd been using that private email server. Yikes. It was clear that she was going to run for president. And I wanted to provide the public with insight into her position on Afghanistan, Syria, human rights. Jason asked for the emails because he thought they'd give the public some insight into how she would govern if she became president. He accidentally ended up uncovering what some say was the reason she lost voters' trust and the election entirely. That's how it goes in FOIA land. You don't always know what you're going to get when you start asking for documents. But I asked Jason if there was such a thing as a typical FBI file. A typical FBI file? Yeah, the FBI files are held in what's known as the central records system, central records database. And there are over 100 million records that are there. So you have you know, the individual files on people. You have files on various subject matters. I received files on Pete Seeger after he passed away. And the files on Pete Seeger showed that a number of different people are writing to J. Edgar Hoover complaining about his songs. And, you know, they put that into a file. After Maya Angelou passed away, I asked for her file. They sent me some records on Maya Angelou, but they were actually looking at her former husband. Hmm. Uh, so they had a file on him. She just happened to be, you know, in that file. So a typical FBI file likely would be, you know, some news stories about a person about a subject, and they'll continuously add to it. What's important to keep in mind is is that with FBI files, there could be an ongoing investigation that could be going on for decades. So they will constantly be adding to the files. Now I imagine that would also include things like tweets or Facebook posts. Yes, yeah. Agencies have social media guidelines, and they will monitor social media. Twitter is an intelligence source, a product for, say, the FBI or the Department of Homeland Security. So about six years ago, maybe seven years ago, I started filing requests for records on the Occupy movement. And you could see within these records that with the FBI, with the Department of Homeland Security, they were not only interested in these protest movements, but in the individual leadership. So 
when Black Lives Matter grew out of the protests surrounding the death of Michael Brown, DeRay McKesson was one of the leaders in that movement. So I filed a request with the Department of Homeland Security for records that they had on Black Lives Matter. And one of the documents that they gave me, it was so clear that they were monitoring DeRay. They were monitoring his social media account. And they referred to him as a, quote, professional protester. So, you know, there's a parallel there to the 70s. And if you are a federal law enforcement officer who may be working on intelligence matters or you want to know where people are going to gather for the next protest, you're going to go to someone's Facebook page and the vast majority of people do not set their security settings to private. And so it's easy to find that. It's a treasure trove of information. What impact does that have on the lives of the people who come under this scrutiny? Well, the vast majority don't know. They have no idea. If I didn't file that request and obtain a document about DeRay, he certainly would have no idea that DHS was monitoring him. He may have suspected it, but most of these folks have no idea what these agencies are doing. They're conducting protected First Amendment activity and at the same time are being closely watched. That's why these records are really important, why these FOIA requests are really important, why it's really important to force these government agencies to be transparent. If someone wanted to get their own file, how how does someone do that? You know, I will say that the FBI is somewhat helpful in the sense that you can go to fbi.gov. At the bottom of the page, there'll be a little tab that says FOIA. You click on that. You know, it will tell you if you're asking for records on yourself. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to fill out. It's very easy. Fire it off. You know, you can use their portal or fax it. Believe it or not, a lot of agencies suggest faxing it. You know, federal government for you. Thank you so much, Jason Leopold. Thank you. It's great being here. That was Note to Self senior producer talking to BuzzFeed's Jason Leopold. And I think we should do it, guys. The Note to Self team is going to request our own FBI files, if we even have one. Kat, we're looking at you because, frankly, you're the one most likely to have one. And listeners, you should check it out, too. Why not, right? It's our government. We're going to put some instructions and pro tips from Jason on our website, how to get your FBI file, if it exists. Go to notetoselfradio.org. And then let's all check in. If you get anything back, please let us know. Our email, I mean, you can email us anytime. It doesn't have to be about this. You can reach us at notetoself at wnyc.org or talk to us out in the open on Twitter or Facebook. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plord. Special thanks to Hillary Shute and Noah Feldman for the audio recording of Kat's grandpa, Daniel Aaron. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and thanks for listening. One funny thing is that since I'm on the West Coast, I will sometimes get calls at 6.30 in the morning 
um, from FBI FOIA people, which is always a you know to roll over in bed and, and see that the Department of Justice is calling you, is a little alarming. Yeah, that would. I guess it would motivate <laughs> me to get up though. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not I, gonna like uh, snooze I, on that. No, yeah. You when the Department of Justice calls, you pick up. 